The Scoop podcast is brought to you by CHS Trivar. Disrupt the chemical bonding that ties up phosphorus in your fields. With Trivar, you can maximize the availability of phosphorus and other nutrients to unlock your field's potential. And welcome to The Scoop podcast. I'm editor of The Scoop, Margie Echelkamp. Joined for our conversation today with Shane Thomas from Upstream Ag Insights. Shane, welcome to the podcast. I think you're the first Canadian that I've ever had the pleasure of having on the podcast. So welcome. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, thanks for having me, Margie. I'm excited to be here. So I gave a very brief, small intro on you saying you are from north of the border, but tell our audience, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I uh, live in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I uh, have my own uh, business called uh, Upstream Ag Insights, and and uh, but my my real experience was started out as an agronomist, working ag retail for the majority of of my career in marketing, agronomy, distribution, digital strategy, a number of different things, and then moved on to to work for a, a digital uh, ag company doing global business development and, and supporting some of their initiatives. And uh, now, really, I work with uh, a lot of different organizations from large to small on everything from navigating the, the tech landscape to navigating the channel itself and, and identifying ways to go to market, identifying ways to partner with different organizations. And so I, I have a lot of fun. I get to learn every single day and I get to meet a lot of interesting people doing a lot of cool things. Yeah. So you talk about that intersection of technology and ag retail. What are some of those top topics that you're encountering in your consulting today? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I guess, in, in tech and in ag retail, I mean, there's a lot on the e-commerce side of things. And of course, to me, e-commerce is only one aspect of having a digital experience for a, a customer, having a digital experience for your staff and having the digital tools to be able to support their um, day-to-day conversations with customers, how they track information, how they view data, how they uh, actually engage with with uh, current customers, future customers, and how they understand their business. So I think that's really one of the biggest topics that comes to me every single uh, every single week. I'm talking with somebody on that specific topic, whether it's retails, whether it's uh, small organizations looking at their go-to-market, whether it's large organizations trying to understand how they can support egg retailers as they move forward. So lots of uh, lots of different things on on that subject, but then also. Uh, the technologies themselves in terms of the agronomic technologies or tool or technologies that will support how a agronomist supports their farm customer in the future, whether that's a decision-based tool, whether that's something precision-based, whether that's something drone-based, for example. And so I do a lot of, uh, uh, have a lot of conversations with organizations trying to navigate how they can structure their uh, digital strategy, how they can actually engage with some of these organizations. And so working with them on on a lot of different things, which is a, a lot of fun because, you know, whether it's in Canada, whether you're in the Midwest US or the Pacific Northwest, it's all different. And so uh, it, it's all about trying to understand the nuances of the technologies, the customers and, and the desires of the organization, and then just the geography uh, and farmers and customers within there too. So uh, lots of interesting things within those subjects. Yeah. So when you are applying so much of your analysis to those different geographies, what are some of those key differences just perhaps between the U.S. ag retail business and the Canadian ag retail business? Yeah, I think the the biggest core, I think, is is just really the infrastructure on farm in Canada is is very 
different than the infrastructure on farm in, in the US. And I think that fundamentally changes a lot of the relationship. And by that, I mean, in Canada, uh, whether you're in West or in Eastern Canada, um, there's not a lot of custom spray, not a lot of custom applying of products. Uh, it's more larger farms that have their own sprayer, have their own planters or seeders, as we call it, applying their own products. And so uh, you get down into the US and, and obviously big businesses around having hundreds or thousands of, of uh, pieces of equipment in the fleet to be able to support that relationship, support that customer. And I think that fundamentally changes a, a lot of the nuance in, in terms of how do you support the customer? How do you work through your workflow? How do you converse with the customer? How do you add value to the customer? And so uh, that really is the, the biggest fundamental difference that that I see between the, the two geographies. But again, there's always, you get into the crops and the rotation and the products and, and all these different things. But fundamentally, that's the, the biggest one for sure. Yeah. So you do an excellent job of keeping track of all the pieces and players and how the puzzle fits together with these technology companies. What do you think has been perhaps the biggest event or thing to come about in the past year in 2021 that has a direct impact on ag retail? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question in in that context too. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of the stuff a lot of the stuff that I focus in on, a lot of the stuff that we hear a, a lot of, because, I mean, you know, let me maybe back up here, Margie, on that. I guess you have the dicamba, you have the glyphosate, you have supply chain issues, you have fertilizer. I'll maybe issue that aside. Just plain and simple, I think that we could dive into a lot of different areas of uh, what's going on there and, and the impacts and, and that. But quite frankly, I also don't focus in on that as much day to day. So I'll focus a little bit more on, call it the the tech side of of things. And, and I think there's probably two dynamics there that are the biggest, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit and have, have two and, and, uh, they're not necessarily something that's going to impact a retails day to day in November of 2021, but it's starting to set up the stage for what November of 2023 or November of 2024 could look like. And so, you know, I, I see one of these aspects is just the macro trend of the carbon and, and soil health and, and all that. And obviously that was happening before, but if you, if you look at the last year and Mark, you would have a better understanding of this than, than I just from all the articles and people you're talking to as well, but the last 12, 14 months has just been an explosion of, uh, of interest in this space. And, and I think the announcements around partnerships with different organizations, whether you have the Cortevas and the Indigos, whether you have the regrows that were uh, Dagan as well as Thorosat kind of coming together to create a new MRV sort of uh, company. You have a lot of these little um, little announcements that I think are really going to be instrumental to driving whether that comes to fruition and what that looks like uh, as, as carbon credits and carbon offsets being created, what that looks like when it does come to fruition by some of these um, announcements from organizations, from the Bayers, from the, the Indigos to, to whoever. So I think that's just kind of a general uh, big thing that's that's going on. And, and I think within that too is really just uh, that I focus a lot on is the IPOs, maybe not so much, but the acquisitions that are occurring within the space. And, and so you look at Semios acquiring Egg World, I think is a very fascinating uh, initiative. Egg World has some egg retail aspects. They have some uh, really strong business in the special crops, but have now entered into the, um, call it more of the row crop and, and field crop space. And then you obviously have Bushel doing uh, a lot of different unique things that support not only retail, but even some of the, the downstream infrastructure, which ultimately will impact retail. Because to me, uh, we're not as much going to be as separate separated throughout the value chain in the future. We're going to start to see how the decision of an agronomist is very much going to be influenced by 
the data that's going to be flowing downstream and the demands of some of the things that are happening downstream. So I think that that's kind of a, a big, uh, uh, big announcements going on with, with Bushel as well, too, that are interesting. Or even Farmer's Edge acquiring Commodity Ag. I mean, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Your Canadian contingency has done a lot of acquisitions. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it is crazy when you start to look at the the Telus and the Semios and the, yep. the Farmer's Edge and AGI. Yeah, three, yeah, three organizations doing some pretty pretty cool things, rolling up a lot of different uh, layers of of technology and a lot of different aspects of the value chain. Shane, is there a technology that at first blush, when you saw how folks were thinking of applying it in agriculture, you thought for one reason or another, and eh, I'm not sure this is a good fit, but now that we've had a little bit of iteration or a technology has come to maturity, you're really bullish on what it can do for ag. Yeah. And I think this is uh, one that comes to mind probably the most is, is just drones in general. And I think there's, there's a couple of different ways to, to look at drones. But when I think of drones, I go back to my days as an agronomist and being told, yeah, you're going to go out and you're going to take this remote control that's going to take you 45 minutes to fly the field and you're going to acquire the, acquire the data and be able to uh, make a recommendation off of that. And I was, you know, I'd always think to myself, well, or I could just walk it or ride on my quad or whatever, you know, you typically would do uh, there, or it would look at satellite imagery as well. You have a more scalable solution. Right. And so I was pretty negative on, on drones. Um, and I mean, they still have a ways to come, but if I start to look at since that kind of 2013, 14, 15, when I was hearing a, a lot more about it to 2021 kind of today, and you start to look at the data processing capabilities that are from a remote perspective, you can uh, process some of that data faster. Uh, there's some of the autonomous functionality coming to fruition. And again, this might not all be here today, but I'm bullish on that this might actually make them a little bit more viable and something value added to a lot of the different uh, things an agronomist does and a farmer does. And then you have, you know, things like spray regulations, because it's not just about the data acquisition, it's about potentially spraying uh, different pieces or different uh, active ingredients or, or fungicides or herbicides. And I think that biggest change for me came from the the mindset change of it's not all or nothing. It's, it's kind of this, uh, there's a, uh, the saying from uh, Jim Collins, uh, the, the writer of good to great, it's kind of the tyranny of, of the or. And so you kind of have the greatness of the and, and, and I used to think about it, well, we're not going to put a drone out to spray 800 acres. We're not going to put a drone out to go find all this, all this data when we can use a satellite, but if you start to look at it, in conjunction with satellite imagery or in conjunction with a large spray unit, all of a sudden you start to see where there's these little holes that it can fill and what it can do different than a large spray or what it can do differently than um, higher, lower resolution satellite imagery. So I think when I start to look at drones, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the potential of what they can do to support, you know, spraying uh, around power lines, spraying around bushes, mm-hmm. spraying in areas that are too wet to, to get into when you might spray the other thousand acres of your farm by by actually uh, putting the sprayer on or getting it custom applied but you might have 120 acres that get sprayed by a, a custom drone uh, that you wouldn't have got that product on on time or you might have been able to precisely apply that from maybe a micronutrient perspective that didn't need to go across the whole field and you didn't need to put all those hours onto your uh, equipment to get across that entire field just to spray 120 acres and so that's where I start to see some of the cool potential of, of drones moving forward. And we are joined by Shane Thomas from Upstream Ag Insights. We are going to take a quick commercial break and be right back. And Shane, I'm going to have some more questions for you looking out into the horizon in the future. 
Attention, citizens. This is your fearless leader. Here's an update from the front. The Resistance has gained the upper hand against Phosphorus Tie-Up. All thanks to a new weapon, Trivar, a broadcast fertilizer additive powered by Levisol. It disrupts the chemical bonding that makes phosphorus inaccessible to your plants, which can happen even in soil where phosphorus is abundant. This is how you unlock the potential of your field. Are you ready to join the movement? Good. Welcome back to the Scoop Podcast. I'm editor Margie Echelkamp, joined today by Shane Thomas. Shane, I've got a little bit of a lightning round for you, okay? And yep. uh, first question, what do you wish you knew six months ago? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, I wish I knew more about, uh, I would just say carbon protocols, actually. I wish I would have known a little bit more about those. There's probably a lot of other things that I'm uh, not fast on my feet here, Margie, but uh, that, uh, that would be my answer there. And if you could have one silver bullet to solve any problem in agriculture, where would you use it? I'd probably, I mean, there's probably a lot, but I'd say herbicide resistance is uh, as, as a passionate, uh, what, what got me interested in agriculture and, and agronomy in general was the crop protection products and herbicides more specifically. And so uh, herbicide resistance is probably where I'd throw that one. And then what keeps you up at night? Uh, what uh, basically what is the future of agriculture going to look like is, is really where my, uh, my day-to-day is, is thinking. And, and more than that is how do agribusinesses add value within that context? Where do they play? What does it look like? And so I'm constantly trying to navigate and, and think about that. And, and it probably does keep me up uh, at night uh, a lot of nights. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more yeah, about the future. Let's continue on with this trend and just what are some of your thoughts? I know you've written and provided some analysis on the space of biologicals. What are you thinking about the future of biologicals? Where will they get their first strong foothold, perhaps in row crop, large acreage agriculture? And what do you think retailers need to know now? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think I probably break biologicals down into a couple points. And, and I think the one thing that I do this all the time is I talk about it as biologicals. And it's there's so many aspects to it too, where it's like, okay, are we talking biostimulants? Are we talking biofungicides, bioinsecticides, or and all these different things? And so and anyway, I do the exact same thing, Margie. So when I start to think about it, I start to think about, okay, well, we don't always need to think about where a biological is going to replace synthetics, but where is there a niche today that can actually, that a synthetic isn't around a synthetic product or something else that can support that pain point for a farmer. And, and so something, you know, very basic that I, I think about where there is some products out there on the market and there have been for, for a while, but is uh, phosphorus soluble, solubilization where, you know, you're not, there's not a herbicide or a fungicide or something that just magically makes that more available. And so uh, I tend to think about, uh, those aspects of where is there a little niche within the uh, uh, the farmer's pain points, how do they're looking to increase yield or, or um, manage something better. Um, so I think about it from that perspective, but then I also think about it again, to go back to this kind of not all or, or nothing, it's not one or the other, but uh, a combination. And so I know there's often been this talk, well, synthetics aren't as, or sorry, biologicals aren't as uh, effective or efficacious as synthetics. And so what we're probably never going to get to all biologicals, but I think there's this kind of route to biologicals becoming more mainstream. And I think that of that, where you have 
synthetics. And then you have all of a sudden, okay, it's more about precision uh, application of synthetics. And then it's all about, okay, well, where is there a need to, uh, where is there a synthetic shortcoming that a biological can come in and support uh, and be a, a tandem approach where it's not co-formulated or anything like that, but you're applying the synthetic first and the biological is the, the second application to mitigate some of the um, synthetic that, that could have been put on. And then you have the, the co-formulations, which there is groups out there. You have UPL with Pronotiva, you have Marone Bio and, and Vive um, putting together products that have those in combination. And that's kind of how I, I tend to think about it. And if I'm a retailer, I, I think, and again, it's more comes down to where you are and all these different things. But if you understand your, your customers and your geography, you can start to see where is there these shortcomings. And then you can go out and look at the landscape and say, what products are out there that can actually support my pain point or the customer's pain point, or even your pain point as a, as a retailer trying to differentiate in a competitive environment. And I think, you know, biologicals bring a huge opportunity there because it, it's pretty common to go in every retail and people know a lot about glyphosate. They know a lot about um, pre-applied herbicides and a lot about fungicides, all these different things, but can you differentiate being able to have a much better conversation with your customers on biologicals and how to use them, where to use them, when to use them and all these different things. And I think there's a big opportunity for, for retailers there. And again, is it going to, you know, take out their entire synthetic portfolio tomorrow? Heck no, I, I would not say that, but there's this opportunity to support uh, some customer pain points and, and be able to differentiate your business along the way, I think. Another topic I'm curious on you, where you think it's headed would be automation. I'm hearing a lot right now, curious for your reaction on perhaps more uh, uh, differentiation between automation, between those applications, for example, for specialty crops, and then the automation possibilities for row crops. But how do you break down automation and what do you think is possible? Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting. And, and my core area of expertise is not necessarily in the, the equipment space, but I tend to think about automation uh, from just breaking it down, um, not specific to those two different farming types, but um, breaking it down into the job that's actually being done, the responsibilities of that job, the, the tasks that might be necessary by a human within that, and then the actions within that. And so we don't necessarily see, it's tough to just automate an entire job, whether that's the harvesting of apples or whether that's the harvesting of, of wheat, for example, but there's specific tasks and actions that a hired individual is, is taking every single day when they climb up into the combine or when they go and pick those fruits, for example. And so I start to look at it from the perspective of what actions are actually needed to execute on this bigger picture job. And then is there a human or is there some actual technology that is better at doing that or cheaper at doing that than a human? And if it is cheaper, is it, or sorry, if it is um, cheaper, is it just as good as a human? And so you have these kind of trade-offs. And so I tend to, I'm pretty analytical. So I tend to break things down into as small a pieces as possible and start to say, okay, well, where might there be these uh, specific areas that get automated or not? And, you know, I look at even some of the basics of uh, spraying, for example, in a large, you know, John Deere sprayer, case sprayer, what have you, um, you know, we've automated boom height and automated the flow of, of wa water and all these different things. And so you have these little aspects that do get 
automated and we're already moving towards precision application of, of uh, nozzles. So nozzles automatically going on at specific times. And so um, to me, it, it's just a matter of looking at each specific action that is being taken and seeing, okay, can this be automated? And so for me, when I think of a macro to take this back up to a much higher level, instead of my kind of uh, tedious approach to it is I start to look at it. Well, over time, there is technology is going to become more capable. Um, the cost to do it is going to go down. Humans are going to become less design in the sense of uh, if I'm a human, I don't want to do the repetitive, tedious task. And so automation is going to take on that job, but then it takes on the next and the next. And so you start to just see over time that we end up, to, in my opinion, we'll end up at more and more automation. And that's where then you start to look at, well, what jobs have more of a judgment aspect to them, which is where humans tend to have a lot more um, capabilities. And again, you can probably argue that AI and, and these sorts of things can start to automate that over time. But it, it's just, I tend to think in, in frameworks of how that will, will come. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but that's how I would tend to think about it. And so the in terms of, you know, an apple uh, or an orchard uh, automation uh, occurring, you know, it, it probably will happen. But then I start to ask, well, is that company going to be profitable? Can they actually execute on that? And what does that look like? And so there's a number of different questions, of course, but uh, I, I'm, I've always been pretty um, bullish on on what technology can do just because it, I like to read history and see how things have constantly progressed. And, and uh, typically humans are pretty um, ingenious at, at coming up with ways and, and technology improves. And so I would say I'm pretty bullish. And I, I don't think that means that you know, we don't have jobs tomorrow or in 10 years or anything like that. I just think that the jobs of humans change and that they become uh, shifted to those higher value judgment type of jobs. And that means you have to be able to help build out your critical thinking skills and all these different things is kind of how I think about it. So Shane, I've been sitting in uh, many, uh, well, many a webinar or more recently also many a ballroom when folks are presenting on Precision Ag and they flash up a slide and I say, oh, that's my friend Shane's work. And it's all about the digital (laughs) acre, right? And what companies and what layers of data and how many acres of data companies are claiming to have. You've done a a lot of analysis here. What's your big takeaway from all of that analysis that you've done? Oh, I'm good. This is, uh, it's funny. I do a lot of it. And I think the biggest thing I've taken away is that, you know, those, as much as I, I love that chart because I like it as, a, so I just for the background, there's a chart that I have created called the Upstream Egg Digitized Acres chart. And it's uh, really just showcasing all the public data that's out there around the the acres uh, that uh, large companies or, or startup companies have claimed to have under management. And uh, what I, I've come to uh, definitely realize is that an, an acre is not an acre. And I mean, I, I realized that before, but you really start to see because there's a lot of um, interesting comments that come in from it. But, uh, you know, there's numbers of different layers of data you can acquire. So and whether the farmer is constantly engaging, whether the uh, um, trusted advisors constantly engaging, it increases the value of that. And, and you know, acres are not acres or not that valuable if you're not making any money off it, or you're not making your product better for farmers to utilize it. And so I've definitely come to the the uh, opinion that uh, it's more about what you're actually doing for the farmers on that acre uh, than having a hundred million or 200 million or whatever that number of, of acres is. And so, um, you know, I, I think that chart is a pretty cool tool as a jumping off point to say, hey, here's the companies that are on a lot of different acres. Let's see how they are using this data. I'm going to talk to them. I want to understand it. And I want to dig deeper from, from there. And I think that's where uh, there's, there's some value in it. 
All right. Well, the tally mark goes to you, Shane, because you said the phrase trusted advisor first during this interview. Okay. And that leads perfectly into my next question, which is what are just some of your current thoughts about where we sit as the industry today, right? We've got some, some interesting economics going on. We definitely have some challenging supply chain issues, we have, you know, some great progress for harvest here in the States, but we have some unknowns as far as planting intentions next year. But what's your messaging? What's your thoughts around that customer service and relationship side of the ag retail business and the trusted advisor role that retailers can play? Yeah. And I think to me, this is, uh, quite frankly, uh, and maybe this is this is contentious with, with people I don't know, but to me, the role of the trusted advisor itself doesn't really change year to year, no matter the economics. I think what, and I'll explain why I say that in a second. And so I kind of think about the trusted advisor in like three different layers. And, and the, the first is really, you have to understand your customer. You need to understand their problems, what they're good at, what their goals are, what their ambitions are, who their people are, all those different things. And from there, you can really help to inform them and help them with, with decisions. And so uh, the next level to that, or the next layer of that to me comes down to understanding the solutions, understanding the tools, understanding the technology, the products, um, what have you that's, that's out there so that you can actually match up their problems with what's out there to solve those problems. And, and to me, again, it, you get some more challenges when you have supply chain constraints to be able to get that fertilizer in and, and all those different things. So you, you end up with uh, some other navigation within that. But fundamentally, to me, that's kind of the core. And then the next is, is really how I think about it. And I've thought about this for a, a lot of years is um, you have to have the confidence to be able to push the, the farmer on some of those different technologies and, and products to make sure that they understand that hey, you know what, this is going to help solve your issue and you have to have conviction in it. And I look at that as being what I call this is a strange way of putting it, but this is how I think about it is um, the best dopamine dealer is I always wanted to be the best dopamine dealer in the geography that I was working in because- You, you know, wanted to provide the easy button. How's that? Yeah, yeah <laughs> something like that. It, it's just, I, I always think about it where if you can actually make that customer feel- that they have the right information, that they have um, incremental insight, and they're getting that hit of dopamine, um, right. they are going to come to you more likely for, for answers. And to do that, you have to be confident to, to push on, on some of those, um, you know, new technologies or, or just, you know, even fertilizer rates. I always think back to farmers that wanted to use 50, 60 pounds an acre of 3417 was kind of the core one out here. And it was like, well, you know what, let's, let's maybe push that a little bit. And, and so, uh, but you had to have your reasoning. You have to, had to have the, the background in and understand their farm and what resonates with them. And, and so to me, fundamentally, that's how I think about the trusted advisor. And if you think about it year to year, those problems that you're trying to solve for them are going to change because if you have supply constraints, now all of a sudden you have to be focused in on identifying how to be a, be better at um, planning with them or getting you know logistics down pat or, or whatever it, it might be. But you might have a, a year where all of a sudden the prices of commodities are really low and now it's okay, where can I actually cut my costs more effectively and not give up on yield and uh, at the end of the day, output or, or profitability. And so I, I think I, I kind of just think about it at a high level like that. And then it just comes down to how you're having those conversations and what you're focused on is going to change year to year is kind of the way I, I think about it. So for this year, it probably is a, a lot of uh, a lot of navigating and I'm trying to understand, okay, you know what, our fertilizer prices are through the roof. We have some pretty good commodity prices, but what products are out there that can come in and support 
the problem that this customer has to enable them to get to where they want to go. Cause I understand that they really want to hit 280 bushel corn, or they want to hit 55 bushel canola or whatever it is. And so you can work with them on that while knowing their soil constraints, their equipment constraints, all these different things. And so to me, that's fundamentally what it, what it comes down to. Shane, is there a topic or an area that you think the ag retail channel hasn't been as warm toward or hasn't received as well that they're really missing the boat on? No, I think, I think in, in general, there's, uh, there's probably a number of, of different topics that you can get into. And I think there's, when it comes to just basic, you know, unique novel or new services that are being to look at, whether this is carbon, whether this is some sort of, um, you know, I don't want to necessarily call it outcome, but some sort of insurance based product. And I think, you know, we're, we're all human and we all like to focus in on what we're good at, what we've done for the last number of years, because and especially in retail, I, mean, I spent the majority of my career there and you're, you're head down, just trying to make sure you can support your customers and, and get product where it needs to be, get answers. You have all this information coming at you. And, and, uh, and so I think that, you know, you get caught up in that and sometimes it's easy to be like, okay, well, you know, we'll look at the new service offering or the next thing, you know, next year or in six months. And so uh, I think there's, there's always this, this aspect of, of just being a more focused on taking the time to say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to look up and I'm going to look over the fence or I'm going to try and look around the corner for the, the next couple of days and see, Hey, what services might be beneficial for my customer. And, you know, maybe that is diving into uh, some carbon partnerships. Uh, maybe that is diving into something that is more on the uh, novel insurance or financing side of things. Maybe that is trying to better support their uh, digital experience with an egg vendor like product or what have you. And so you can kind of, um, I think it just really is, it's not any sort of specific thing that a, that a retail in general that, that I talk to are missing out on. I think it's just in general, they get so f- caught up on executing and that's core. You need to execute or you're not going to be around next year anyways. But I, I think there's always an opportunity to kind of um, pick the head back up and, and uh, try to look around the corner and, and get creative for what you can do to support that customer and anticipate their needs uh, moving forward. Well, that's a great message for this time of year, especially as folks are analyzing the previous year and looking ahead to the next. And so I think my last question for you today, Shane, is going to be, what is one prediction that you will share for 2022? Oh, man. I'm, uh, I always have these, I, I probably listen to like Warren, Warren Buffett and all these different individuals too much where they're like, you know, I, you don't win by, by predicting the future, you know, you play your odds and those sorts of things. And so, you know, I don't know if I have anything real specific, but I'll maybe give you, you know, kind of two comments on this. And I, I think this is one pretty general is, you know, when it, when I look at the collaboration between large organizations, between startups in the, the tech and traditional incumbent side of things, I think we're going to see that along with acquisitions ramp up even more in the coming, you know, 12, 14 months. Uh, I think we're really at the point where these organizations have acknowledged and understand, have began to really understand that, you know, farmers don't want to have all these different apps. And there's a lot of startups out there with doing all the same thing, but let's make sure we pick one and we dive into it. There's the opportunity to build out APIs, looking at companies like the leaf and, and those sorts of organizations. And so I think we're going to see uh, more collaboration and, and acquisitions on, on that front. And maybe one that I think is, is uh, maybe it's not specific, but maybe pushing a little bit more out there, but, um, you know, we've seen 
uh, some announcements from Amazon moving into India in, in the egg space. Um, you know, we have Microsoft that's dabbling in some of their uh, agriculture related mm -hmm. uh, uh, initiatives. You have Google with their mineral uh, having some some different focuses uh, within within the egg space. And so I'm not like to me, they're not going to come in and, and try and disrupt. But what I think is that we'll see them um, have their their strategies and their their endeavors come kind of come more to the forefront. Uh, they'll they'll maybe talk a little bit more openly about it. I think we'll see uh, more uh, attempts to work with some of the large uh, agribusiness incumbent organizations as well. But I, I really do think that we'll start to hear more from them in, in the egg front uh, moving forward in the next, you know, 12, 14, 18 months. Well, Shane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so many of your insights and analysis. We've been joined today by Shane Thomas of Upstream Ag Insights. Shane, if folks want to connect with you, I know you're very active on social media as well as maintaining your Substack. Where can they find you? Yeah, so probably the, the two, uh, two easiest ways to find me are, are on Twitter, uh, at Shane Agronomy. Uh, as well as my Substack, uh, where Upstream Ag Insights. Uh, so that site is uh, Upstream Ag, as in AG Insights at or sorry .substack.com. So it's not the not the nicest of uh, of um, web web domains, but if you search Upstream Ag Insights, it'll pop up uh, on Google as the first one. But yeah, thanks so much for for having me. And anybody that does want to reach out, I love talking with uh, individuals in the space. It's my my passion. It's uh, as we talked about earlier, it keeps me up at night trying to uh, look at what's coming, what's going on out there, how to make things better for farmers in the industry. And so um, feel free to reach out and, and uh, look forward to chatting with uh, with new people. Awesome. Well, Shane, thank you for joining us to our audience today. Thank you for joining us. If you have listened to this podcast on our website, go ahead and on your podcast player, click the follow or subscribe buttons and you'll get all of our episodes delivered directly to you. And until we come to you again, I'm editor of The Scoop, Margie Echelkamp.